לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Yosef in the background, 
there's a little bit of play on on this world and 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 of course you all know the beautiful line he did, doesn't say that he died didn't say that he died <laughs> he just expired but he didn't die oh, the vino yeah, yeah, he passed his best cell days. <laughs> he passed his cell by date, but he didn't. Yeah, he's, this is a famous, as, as as you were alluding to, famous, famous line in the Talmud, which is which is both deep and funny, because as the Talmud says, Yaakov uh, Avinu Lomet, he never died, and then and then the to the editorial voice in the Talmud says, well. Then why did they embalm him and put him in a coffin? <laughs> and and then right. continues and says, no, no. Mazarokayam Apukayam, as long as his children exist, he still exists. Which is such it's a just, such a fascinating statement, such a gorgeous sentiment about, about the eternity of the people of Israel. I mean, and so on the one hand, I want to say, you know, we get to a kind of depressed ending of this book, and yet we want to pull out the light we want to pull some some hope here and some some i don't know if i want to say joy but at least i want to say meaning no listen i, I think this is you're right on both counts you're right on the the dark tone to this book that that ends in exile which you know any any jewish or israelite reader of, of genesis knows that we're just on the edge of slavery by the time there was a torah we all knew what the story was, and so there is a dark and foreboding quality to the end of this book. And the use of the word mitah, the bed, is very literarily sensitive, and 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 it's got a lot of space in there because the bed represents um, uh, uh, sexual reproduction. The bed, the place where reproduction happens, uh, is a symbol of the life-giving force that is Yaakov Avinu. Jacob is with this, with the with the 12 children, and then the the expansion of the Joseph, you know, expansion of Joseph into Ephraim and Manasseh, and jo Joseph himself will later see, you know, three generations of Ma of, of Manasseh's children and Ephraim's children. Um the the claim that's being made here is you know at one point in the early part of the uh, parsha uh, Jacob bows down at the head of the bed and it's not just like an old man who's kind of leaning over with the place where he sleeps no 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 he is giving thanks and he is affirming they had some tough times and Judah had his bad moments and Reuben had his ba bad moments and they were not nice to their brother Yosef. Um, but they are all together, they are all alive, they are all surviving and thriving, and so this is a huge affirmation of the the, the tribes of Israel alive and... and so and, it's interesting, you, you, you said that, I want to just, you know, quote back what the blessing that he gives to Ephraim and Asher includes the words, Hamalach HaGoel Oti Mikora, the angel, the messenger that has redeemed me from all all of the terrible things, and you just, you know, said, you know, here he is at the, at the, you know, bowing at, at his bedside with, with thanks. So let me ask you this question: Do you think, do you think Jacob is whole at the end of his life? Do you think he is? Do you think? Do you think he has made peace with himself, with his sons? I, I can you, you know, if you're, if like, well, if you're, if you're going to say about funeral, him, I want to say, like, if you're presiding at his funeral, okay. And what's the eulogy you're going to give over him? Allah fa shalom. Allah fa shalom. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so you... I think what 
the indication that he's whole comes in that line, Hamalacha go L-O-T. Because it's a recognition that at key elements of his life, Jacob was involved with an angel. When he left home at the beginning of Yetze, he meets the angel going up and down the ladder to heaven. When he comes back, he wrestles that celestial being, sometimes referred to as an angel. And Jacob lives his life touched by an angel. So even though he told Paro that his life was difficult and hard and short, he recognizes at the end that he was actually quite blessed in a way that echoes the blessing of Abraham, where it says, after Sarah died, which is not some misogynist comment, but an indication that one can be whole even when pain. I, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, in preparing a comment on this and 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 trying to go over all the things that, that he went through. So he did go through some very difficult times. I mean, he, he, he paid dearly for his stealth and his uh, duplicity with his brother. He played, he paid dearly from Lavan. Uh, he uh, comes back to the land. He he's certainly you know been been humbled, but he he still behaves in a certain way when he's in the land. That is to say, cautious. His daughter is raped. His wife, his precious wife Rachel, dies. His son Joseph the, his his you know, a favorite son is is presumed to be dead. He lives out uh, decades of his life in mourning, refusing to be comforted, um, and uh, he's he's got what to cry over in his life. And he then says, goel oti mikora, that I'm redeemed. So I, I I love what you said, Barry. That that yeah, there's there are angels. The angels join him at at. at various junction points in his life and that's very that's a very powerful idea because it's in the text um but but his he's also had a hard life you know and maybe yeah. saying look I, I i've come to terms with the fact that i've lived a very very painful life and uh, and so the question is am i at peace now so you know earlier after the in Vayishlach, when he wrestles with the angel and he, he's said to be limping or or you know Tzolea al-Yerecho, he's he's Kind of limping after that experience. And the next line is, He comes whole, uh, or he comes in peace to to his next place where he's going to live, which, by the way, that's where the bad stuff happens again. Um, and I, I, on a religious level or a spiritual level, I think you know that, that really does speak to me because he's limping and he's whole. He's broken and he's whole. And, and I think that that's the way life is. Um, uh, the, the true self, you know, everyone's true self is broken and whole, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Now, is is Jacob this? What is his own psychological self consciousness, self reflection? That's a harder one for me. Um, I I like the scene where uh, where he meets Pharaoh. This was last week's parsha. He meets Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, "How old are you?" <laughs> he says. Well, like my days have been you know the food is so terrible in such small portions i haven't lived very long and it's really been bad and you know that's that kind of bitterness you want to you want to get past i hope i hope he is not now and i I think he is not now 
in that that mode when he meets Pharaoh, he's like, this stinks. But he then he also at the beginning of this partial says, you know, I never thought I was going to see you again, and and here I am seeing your children. Is it's to me it makes it it is exactly what what you're kind of alluding to or wondering about. Can you be broken and whole? Yeah, he he suffered. I, I had a pastoral meeting today with somebody uh, who many years before had lost. Say, this is you know about earlier part of their lives, but then many years before they lost a child and. Um, they got great blessings in their life, and they also have a pain that's never going to go away. So I think that's just so what, like. what I would say is that you cannot avoid bad in your life. But what you hope is you live long enough to be able to contextualize it so it is not the dominant thing in your life. That the pain that we experience, some of it does live on with us every day, but it doesn't necessarily dominate our lives the way it did in the immediacy of the moment. And I think Jacob, 17 years later, sees that there were bad, dark days, as you alluded to, Elliot, but there was also much good. So it's interesting, you know, there's a line, a rabbinic line, a person who doesn't experience joy cannot give a blessing. And and despite the fact that that's a rabbinic line, I, you know, I, I do want to take a license and and superimpose this over him. Maybe maybe he has reached a point of of gratitude, a point of joy, where he could say, and he says it in a characteristic way: You've taken my life from from all of these different difficult things. Or maybe he's saying, you know, Hagoeloti in the present, because I am going to be redeemed. I have been redeemed. And uh, you will repatriate my bones to the land of Israel. Uh, they will be redeemed, and our how, descendants will be redeemed. Um, how about exactly? How about exactly this? It's not Hamalach, you know. The, the it's not this divine or superpower who has led me led me through life without without Ra. It's that Ra has been has beset my life all the time. Yes. Uh, uh, the the painful stuff is, is I have not you know failed to experience those things, but I have felt also a presence who is goeloti mikora, uh, who who can you know redeem me, and that I think that I think is a very serious and good aspiration for people to have. Not that so you what, won't I have pain. Spin that out for a second, which is that that if if the ra is present in his life at all times. The goel is is a constant. In other words, uh, if you were going to spin this into a little drash and say, you know, we 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 live all the time with with very difficult, very challenging, and often often catastrophic things, and we we are in a constant state of needing this gula, this redemption from this the the, the that very difficulty. Is that what you know? Not bad, not bad. Well, what uh, about what about the idea that um, this is this is a projection to the future? That Hagoeloti is this is what's going to happen because and here I'll, I'll 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 go to this idea, which is Jacob really sees that Joseph is in a fix, and and you know I, I love the it's I I relate to this as as a parent. Okay, you know you want the best for your children. Okay, and you want to make sure that they make the right choices, um, and 
you know, and I remember <laughs> you you don't want things not working out for your children. And and here he sees his son, his favorite son, Yosef, who is, you know, the the, the most powerful person in Egypt next to Pharaoh. And he realizes that this is this is smoke and mirrors, that this is a big charade. He's not free at all. And he, and he never ceases to remind Joseph that because he makes Joseph make an oath, uh, oath uh, swear to him that he will uh, take him up to Egypt. He doesn't really play the game well last week's partial when he meets Pharaoh. And, and I think there's hints after hints that he sees Egypt for what it is, which is a despotic, tyrannical, you know, benevolent tyranny. I want to offer a slightly different take. I think okay. that it's not a charade, but it's not the end. That it's easy to look at Joseph as being totally immersed in Egyptian culture and life up until the very end when he makes his brother swear that his bones will be taken out of Egypt to be buried in the ancestral land of Canaan. That Joseph is someone who has always been ambitious and worked very hard to realize his ambitions and seemed for a good part of his life to be unaware of the great cost that they had, both to him and everyone around him. You know, we often gloss over the fact that in the Torah's telling, the man responsible for destroying Egyptian peasant life is Joseph. He had everyone sold as a slave to the pharaoh. Right, what Pharaoh couldn't do himself, he allowed Joseph the Hebrew to do. Uh, unfortunately, this is uh, this is hundred percent correct and very very important. Joseph builds Egypt as a slave state. Joseph builds Egypt as a as you know a, a totalitarian state that the Pharaoh's the Pharaoh's the god and owns all the land and all the people and all the animals. And the Bechor Shor, a great uh, you know like like Rashi era. French commentator, when in Parsha Shmot it says that that he, that Pharaoh made the Egyptians, Pharaoh made the Israelites work as slaves in the Aramis Kenot, the store cities. Bechor says the Egyptians, you know, once they forgot Yosef, they forced the the Israelites to work because they said, the Egyptians said, um, you guys were complicit with Pharaoh in oppressing us. You guys built these store cities. You took all of our, you Israelites as Pharaoh's uh, hench people. You know you 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 contributed to this despotic state. You and you didn't have to pay. We all had to pay these taxes. We all had to give up our food. You didn't have to give up your food. Now you're going to work it off. And I think that's an incredibly interesting comment for a medieval French Jew who lives in a in a time when presumably you know there's there are like certain of those things we recognize as anti-Semitic tropes. You know, secret power behind the throne and stuff like that. Um, you know, they, they 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 control the economy, they control the money, and they have this the secret cabal of power. Uh, Bahor Shor sort of reads that that those instincts into this fact that you pointed out, Barry. Well, what so then, just add one other thing is yeah. that if we don't have the Book of Exodus and the rest of the Torah, Genesis is an incredibly depressing book because we end with in Egypt with our great leader Yosef completely Egyptianized and I wanted to draw your attention you wanted to talk a little bit about the context of Rashid 
the last word of Breshid is Mitzrayim, and the last word of Devarim is Israel. So right. we go from Egypt to Israel. That is our our task. That's our life's journey, to go from yeah. Egypt to Israel. And what we come across is this idea, I think, that's embedded in the text, is that there always is a tomorrow. Right? That's always our hope. You know, you got to live a long life by waking up every day. If you miss I, one, I, you've I, had it. I find it's a very compelling reading, you know, to see the the arc of the the book of Rashid, you know, from the expanse of creation to a box, right? He's in a box in Egypt. Right, the saying he's completely Egyptianized. Um, so so let's take a moment to 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 think about Joseph and to think about the end of his life and to eulogize him a little bit you know we were saying there are things that he that he, that he did he saved his his family but um do you do you think he's regretful a b what do you make of the fact that he makes the brothers promise to take his bones out of egypt i would you know put out there the idea that this is just narcissism he wants to put himself in the center of the story of the Exodus. The Exodus that will come is not going to be complete without Joseph. And, so, and, and it's 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 remarkable that that he wants to be on the stage. He wants to be in the procession in his bones. So it, but Elliot, you have to reckon with what happens to these bones. They're okay. mentioned exactly twice more. When Moses gathers them to take them out before they leave Egypt, and when Joshua buries them in, yes. at the end of the book of Joshua. Okay. So now your reading suggests that this is the Torah's, uh, I guess now we're talking about the Tanakh since we're into Yoshua already. It's an ironic comment that Joseph wanted to be at the center, but we're careful readers and we'll make sure that he doesn't get too much attention the rest of the way. But what I wanted to suggest is that perhaps more than the other characters in the Tanakh, Joseph is, almost everything he does can be read in one of two ways. It can be read for the good, and it can be read for the bad. So last week, you know, he has the brothers arranged to be in Goshen, and we think how wonderful that they could worship the way that they want, they could live the way they want. But maybe it's Joseph's way of saying, you know, I don't want you around here. You're in my domain now. And I live in a different world. Not only that, but I want you to be. I want. I want to provide for you so that you'll be subordinate to me. And we'll keep you off to the side. On the other, you know, and there aren't enough clues. I think because I, I think as you go through, you see that everything is susceptible of this, of this reading, and we're not really left with enough. So I think what ultimately determines how we look at Joseph is what we bring to the story ourselves, the experiences of our own lives and how we see people. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit differently. I mean, first of all, the narcissism thing is 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 really an interesting read. Um heavily, you know, brought to the character of Joseph, who from his childhood is a narcissist. You know, it was all about me. No, that's that's that part's true. But I also think that because for the other reasons that you observed in the course of our conversation. Uh, this book, which places, you know, the Israelite people in the f exile in the foreign, you know, foreign place in the, in Gola, 
Um, and because this is such a present, uh, you know, theme throughout all Jewish life uh, in the many centuries, Joseph in this respect represents perhaps not the uh, totally exceptional, you know, narcissistic for good reason hero, but every Jew who can always kind of be Egyptian and can kind of forget where they where their homeland is and what their home nation is. Um, and in fact, the claim, you know, the, like Joseph, who who for these years has been known far and wide as Tzofnat Paneach, who his brothers didn't even recognize, who really, who's got an Egyptian wife, an Egyptian, you know, power. Uh, the seduction is, you know, truly, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm an Egyptian. Um, and the Torah tells us that the end, the end uh, feature of his story is that he says, listen, I know what this looks like, but I'm not an Egyptian. I'm one of you, and I want to go where we're from. And the, the passionate concern, like throughout the many centuries of Jewish history, people being buried in Eretz Yisrael, they really like that. That's, that's a theme, too. To me, it's at least partly Joseph's affirmation that despite what this looks like, I'm not an Egyptian. I don't want to be an Egyptian. I want to be an Israelite. And that means a connection to the homeland. Okay, so so you took the edge off the narcissism here. I can I can buy that. And maybe maybe I'll give a little more compassion, which is that Joseph is eliciting the 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 need for forgiveness, the need for for closing all you know the bows, basically tying all the bows here. Which is, you you I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Gunov gunavti meeretz ha'ivrim. He said I was stolen, I was made a slave, and a slave is a a person who is a living dead and. I want you to repatriate my bones, which are the the symbol of the dead. I want to be part of. I want to be linked to the living. I want to be part of the land of the living. Now, you know, it's it's. We say this in in you know, tied nishmato tzirura bitzorachayim. I mean, you know, may their soul be bound up in the bond of life. It's it's such a you know when we think about the expression, it's it's truly you know, meaningful in the sense that what do the dead want? The dead want to be connected to the to the living. And what do the living want? The living want to be connected, you know, to their ancestors in some way. And and he's saying, look, I can't go, I I, I will not get there with you. I've seen the promise. No, that's that's Moses and Martin Luther King, right? I've been, I've seen the promise. I will not, I may not get there with you, right? At least bring my bones there. At least inter my bones there. I, you know, I think about, I've, I've taught about, you know, uh, after Israel was was the, you know proclaimed, they brought Herzl's bones and they they reinterred Herzl on Mount Herzl. They reinterred uh, Jabotinsky. They brought Chana Senish back, and all this was important in the early days of, of Israel, in order to a tell the Zionist story and b to to identify these founders, these founding heroic figures, and more. Um, with the land itself, and and you know we have this idea. Many people, you know, pay lots of money today to inter their bones in Israel, and we've talked about it in the past. You know that that your your body is the actual part of the the soil, but here it's I want to be part of the living. I want to be part of. I I literally am literarily the continuing link to the story. You know, well, I wonder, Elliot, if given we've talked about this in different partial different yeah. contexts. Um, the the I, I think one of the one of the ways in which what you're saying now really works 
is that Egypt, you know, is the cult of the dead. Egypt is these tr tremendous, you know, so, uh, what do you call it? not not a ne necropolis with all the, um, you know, you could imagine if we carry this out that Safnat Paneah, who has saved Egypt through the famine, is passing away, and they have a meeting of Pharaoh's council and says, okay, somebody needs to start to plan the the pyramid for Safnat Paneah, and Joseph says, absolutely not. I am not, you know, I'm I'm not going into the land. I'm not going to be part of this cult of the dead. I'm not going to be part of the Valley of the Kings. I'm going to be back in the land, you know, Be'aretzot HaChayim. Okay, yes, still dead, um, but connected with life and and the, the God who loves life and the people who, who chooses life is like a, is a powerful, potentially powerful affirmation. So I want to add something here. So when Jacob dies, it says by Yisrael he's gathered unto his people, even though he's in Egypt, and he is surrounded by his children and presumably his grandchildren. When Joseph dies, he just dies, and the only way he could be Nasaf El is to have his bones brought back to the land. Nice. That it's a way of connecting himself to the people on one hand, but on the other hand, it also gives the descendants their own physical connection to a land that in a generation or two, none of them would ever have seen. And right. that's the eternal hope that no matter how dark things look, and as you said, we have Joseph in this box at the end filled with embalming fluid, um, yet there's still hope that there is a world out there that we can navigate. I want, and to, destiny. I want to end with with another theme on on Joseph because there there seems you know Joseph is really conflicted in his place. He's you get the sense that he wants to be among the founders of the people in that founding triumvirate. He wants to be like the fourth, and he can't. Um, and he's not. He, he's he's differentiated from the rest of the brothers. So he's he's not a patriarch. And he's not really the you know part of the children of Israel. It's his sons that become the tribal leaders, the tribal names, Ephraim and Manasseh, and not Joseph. Um, and so I mean, yeah, but I, I, don't, I would I would not take that. I, I would take that actually in a different way. I would say that that means that that Joseph is those things because. You know the the just real quick the straight up kind of economic so to speak meaning of Ephraim and Menashe is that this is Jacob doing what has been implicit through the story is making Joseph the true bechor the true firstborn if the firstborn the way in biblical inheritance works is is the estate is divided up to as many you know one portion more than the number of children or male heirs at any rate that there are six children the estate gets seven seven pieces and and the firstborn gets two and everyone else gets one. And so what has happened here is that Joseph is elevated as the true firstborn. Ephraim and Menashe are now taken to be full tribes. They're, they're brought up a generation. That means Joseph has gotten a double portion, exactly the thing that Jacob wrangled out of Esau. Joseph wrangles off of his brothers. By the way, the book of Deuteronomy says very clearly, you can't do that. If you have a loved wife and a hated wife and the, and the, and the hated wife produces the physical firstborn, that's the Bechor. You can't, you can't, Make the you can't live a care that you can't make the bechor out of the younger children, um, but Joseph does get that in Ephraim and Asher. And I would also point out that in the blessing, the poetic blessing, 
uh, everybody else gets basically a one-liner and Joseph gets like a long, uh, not long, but Joseph gets like two and three and four times the attention that everybody else gets. So he's, he's distinct from them. Uh, you know, he, yes, it's true. He's not Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, but he really, there's no, there's no question about who the most important one of this generation is. So but we also know that there is one older son that does triumph, and that's Judah, through the Davidic monarchy. And, you know, Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah will outlast the kingdom of Ephraim, better known as Israel, by you know, close to 150 years. And that seems to be the only place where the oldest, where the older son actually is triumphant over the younger son. All the other stories in the Bible, it's the younger son. And you know, one of the most interesting to me is David is the seventh son, and Solomon, I think, is the eighth son. You know, so they're pretty far down on the pecking order, and they're the two greatest kings in Israel. Wow. So here we are. We, we, we've come all this way. We're, we've 12 parshiot and uh, Breshit. We're completing the book of Breshit now. It's, it's, I, I always feel very sad ending this parsha. It's a part of our lives. These are the people that that shape our view of the world and shape who we are as a people, as their descendants, uh, we miss them. <laughs> they are our, they are our ancestors. We we we've gotten to be in their lives for a bit, and and part of the completion of of Vayichi, this uh, parsha is to say goodbye, say goodbye to to them, and almost like see you next year also. <laughs> but they never. But left. it's also. To say chazak, 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 that we should be strengthened by it as well, and that we take them into the we'll we'll take them with us. We'll we'll, we'll make we'll, but we'll plenty of mention the bones. Them in the next part. What's that? Yeah, we'll, keep, no, we'll carry the bones. This is this is the thing. We'll carry the bones, and as the midrash, you know, we've just I'm sure I'm sure we've discussed this midrash in the past that the the midrash imagines the Israelites going through the desert carrying two wooden boxes. One in which includes the the stone tablets that Moses brought, and one includes Joseph's bones. And they say, "Well," and they, they people will come and say to them, "What's with the two boxes?" And they will say, "The person in this box kept up the Torah in this box." And like that's just a great midrash. That's great, but it goes back to what we said before because both of them are broken, yeah. the bones and the tablets, and yet they sustain the life of the people. Beautiful. Very good. And the people in these boxes on your screen, <laughs> we have sustained this this conversation now. Wow, I don't even think about it. It's it, we, you know, coming up on three. We're coming up. That's right. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Send us your comments and have a great Shabbat. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.